Hopefully tonight we will get through uh, one of the greatest books of the Bible by looking at just snippets of it to gain the main lesson that is to be found in the great book of Joshua. I don't know about you, but when I'm reading through my Bible every year, and I try to read through the Bible twice each year, uh, but as I do that... I want to spend more time in Joshua than just about any other book. Now, I enjoy historical books and, uh, and all, but Joshua is not just historical, which the Bible is not just a historical book, but it's such a great book of faith, and it teaches us so much about reliance on God. And I'm not giving anything away yet as far as filling in that blank on the greatest lesson or the main lesson in Joshua is. But, uh, but those are some of the things that we're going to run across when we study the book of Joshua. Have any of you ever taken an art appreciation course? Don't be ashamed to hold up your hand if you have. A few of you have. Uh, I'm sorry you had to do that, okay? Uh, those teachers, oh, they're just so excited to teach you about art appreciation, and they'll throw up maybe something by Picasso with the faces with the eyes on both sides, you know, on one side of its head. They look like a flounder and, uh, and all. And they say, now, what this means is that Picasso was upset that day. Well, Picasso was upset every day. He was nuts. And, uh, and so, you know, they want you to try to read all of this stuff into a painting. <clears throat> My son is a really good artist, and he has, has loved painting for years, but he's never tried to come up, well, what I was trying to see when I painted this was this. No, he said, you know, this was a beautiful lighthouse, and so I wanted to paint it. And uh, that's really the way art should be. But the fact of the matter is, people try to read all kinds of things into it that aren't there. If we're not careful, we can do that with some of the greatest and clearest books of the Bible. And the book of Joshua would be one of those. In fact, to miss the main theme in Joshua would be to be falling asleep while you're reading it because it starts out telling you really what it's all about. Now, Moses has died, and we can only imagine the the grief of the children of Israel. This is the only leader they have ever known. They were led out of, of Egyptian bondage uh, through Moses. God led them out through Moses. And now he's led them to Mount Sinai. He's led them to the promised land because of their unfaithfulness. Forty years of wandering. But he led them through all of that. And they are about to cross the Jordan. And God, because of the fact that he had broken faith with him, had, uh, had told him, you can't, you can't cross over into the promised land. And so he goes up to Mount Pisgah, and there he dies. And, and then the people are turned over, as it were, to Joshua. But that transition doesn't seem to be as painful as you might think that it would be. Joshua has been Moses' right-hand man throughout their entire time together in leading Israel. 
We don't know exactly how young Joshua was, but he was over the age of 20 when the children of Israel broke faith with God and were not allowed to go into the promised land, and uh, those who were over the age of 20. And so he was one of the two, Caleb being the other, that were over the age of 20 who were going to be able to go in to the promised land. And so God has something that he really needs to do in chapter 1 that really sets the tone and fills in our blank for us tonight on the main lesson is. And, uh, and we find this uh, in chapter 1, and we're going to begin here with verse, uh, with verse uh, 6. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and Night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Then in verse 18, the people respond and they say, whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And then again in Joshua 10 and verse 25, and Joshua said to them, do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. You know, the subject of courage, which is our blank tonight, is built upon something else. And that's something we need to always understand. But God wants to get the word courage fixed into the mind of Joshua and into the mind of the people of Israel. And so that is our, our fill in the blank. Courage. But it's built upon faith. And we notice that throughout all of this text it says, if you do the words that you are commanded, if you follow everything that God has commanded you, if you do whatever I tell you, then I'm going to bless you. But be strong and courageous. And so we get the idea of the theme of the book. And again, it's sort of like looking at a landscape or a seascape or, or the painting of an individual or whatever. Yes, you might be able to see some different types of strokes and things of that nature in the art. But the fact of the matter is, it's a seascape. It's a landscape. It's a person. Well, here we're talking about courage. And there can be no doubt of that when it comes to the book of Joshua. So like the perverted men who were asking Job to stand back so they could commit sin with the angelic visitors that had gone uh, to Job's house, our world is asking us today to not be courageous, to not stand up for truth, to not be strong, and to just stand back. Stand back and let us do whatever you want to do. Even television shows that are somewhat conservative. 
let's say, in their presentation, even some of the comedies that are somewhat conservative, tend to pick at religious people to make the spiritual person appear to be a buffoon. Someone who is just following some, some you know, mystical creature that no one can see, that no one can prove has ever existed, and they're following them blindly and uh, just being foolish in the decisions they make because they're praying to a God in one of the most recent songs that I don't believe in. I'm praying to a God that I don't believe in. That's what the world is trying to tell us is that that's what you're doing. You don't really believe in him. You can't really prove that God exists. Uh, that This is just a, a fictitious character. And so they're trying to tell us to stand back. That's why the book of Joshua is so encouraging. Because Joshua has no doubt. And he instills within the people this courage, this strength, this backbone that lasts for another generation or two. And we need that same kind of encouragement. And God has given it to us in the Word of God. I want us to think of four things tonight that he's teaching us to have courage in. One is we need to have the courage to fight. We need to have the courage to fight. The reason Israel had wandered for 40 years was a lack of courage. You remember what the ten spies who came back said in Numbers 13, 27 to 28? We went to the land where you said us, it truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Do you remember? They had to carry a, a rod or a staff uh, to be able to carry a, a bunch of grapes. They were so large. That's how how bountiful the land was. And so they said, well, it is what God said. Nevertheless, you know, when somebody starts laying it on thick, oh, well, I think you're a great gospel preacher, or I think you're a good Bible student, this and that, you're just waiting for them to say, however, but, and on this occasion they say, nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong, The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, listen to how far they go with this. We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its own inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. Is that true? Of course it's not true. They're not all of great stature. And there we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers, listen carefully, in our sight. And so we were in their sight. There are so many assumptions and mistakes made in this speech that it's laughable. One is... Just 40 years ago, God defeated the strongest army on earth, overthrew them in the Red Sea, and none of you were hurt. They've forgotten all about that. And I want to tell you right now, you think there weren't some giant champions who had fought in numerous wars for the Egyptians? I guarantee you there were. And they had chariots 
like nobody else on this earth. And they were powerful. But these men had forgotten all of that. And the next assumption is this. What we look like in their eyes, they were spies. They weren't seen by anybody there. And so, you know, what were we? We were grasshoppers in their sight. No, you weren't because they didn't even see you. This is an assumption on your part. But here's where the truth, where the rubber meets the road. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. There's the problem. There's the rub. They were weak in their faith. And as a result, they were rejecting God, rejecting God's word, rejecting God's leader, and not willing to do what God had told them that they should do. So we see the problem that they had here. They were not willing to fight. They were not willing to do what God said. When the two spies, who were 40 years later sent to Jericho, went to Rahab's house to hide, she shared with the men the impression that God had left on the people of Canaan. And here's what Rahab said in Joshua 2.11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Do you think that was happening 40 years ago? Yes, it was. Guarantee it was. Those people were scared because they heard what happened to the Egyptians. Everyone knew when you lose your army in the Red Sea, you're not going to be defeating anybody for a while. They were going to have to wait for a generation to be able to build their army back up. And so everyone knew what happened. And the children of Israel could have walked right in and done exactly what God told them to do 40 years before. Well, now the oldest people in Israel are only 60, except for Joshua and Caleb. Everybody else is dead. None of the old hoary heads, none of the 80 and 90-year-olds, dating nobody your age existed. Nobody. Because they were unfaithful to God. But now God has a team that's ready to play. Ready to do what they've been called to do. We must develop God's vision in order to have the courage that we need. We need to see as God sees. Do you remember Elisha? And he's old and he's got a servant with him. And the Syrians have surrounded them at Dothan. And uh, they want to kill Elisha because Elisha has been prophesying about the Syrians' plans. And every time they started to attack or do something, the Israelites were able to, to thwart their efforts. And so he decides, I've got to kill Elisha. I'm going to have to capture him or kill him in order for us to have a chance. And so they surround the city of Dothan. And the servant gets up and he goes and looks out the window and he comes back, Master, we're surrounded Oh, we're in trouble. And old Elisha says, go take another look. Go see what you see this time. And when he looked, at first he saw the armies of the Syrians, but then he looked above them, and there were chariots of fire and God's host surrounding the Syrians as well. 
and God blinded all of the Syrians. And here this old prophet and this one servant leads that army right into one of the strongholds of Israel. But they let them go. But they wanted them to know, our God is stronger than you are. And we see like God sees. Jesus teaching his disciples how to view the world after the woman at the well incident that took place. And they come back and, and uh, they say, Master, we, we need to go get some food. And Jesus says, no, I don't need any food. I've had, the, I've had the meal that I want. And they said, Master, nobody has brought you any food. And he says to them in verse 35, do not say, there's still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. When we see what God can do in the hearts of men, and when we quit trusting in ourselves and start trusting in Him. You know, we look at people and we say, oh, they don't want to study the Bible. You don't know that until you ask. One time someone was asked by one of our members for a Bible study, and they said, I've been attending at Central for two or three years, and nobody asked me. All it takes is to ask and then give them over to God. Take them to his word. Let his word speak to them. Don't think you've got to be some genius at logic. Just take them to the word of God. Do we need to know this book? Yes. Do we need to know how to argue the truth? Indeed. But you don't have to be a Bible scholar to lead someone to Jesus. You just need to see as God sees. God wants us to be a courageous people. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7, Paul says to Timothy, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we need to understand that. Secondly tonight, they had the courage to repent of sin. They committed sin at Ai. Well, Achan committed sin at Ai, but it infected the whole nation. And the next time they went out to battle, 36 men died. Now what had happened is when they defeated Jericho, Achan had stolen some things uh, that God had said, don't you bring anything out. You devote everything to destruction. Oh, but they saw these pretty garments and they saw some bars of gold and silver and they, they just had to have these things. God was going to give them far more than that. And so they had disobeyed him. And so they go up against the little town of Ai and 36 men die. And Joshua comes back, Lord, I don't get this. I don't understand this at all. How did we defeat Jericho? And we really didn't have to do that much. You're the one that knocked the walls down and you gave us a great success and now we've lost men. Why? And God said, because there's sin in the camp. And so God told them exactly what to do. And they searched through the camp and they found the stolen things in the tent of Achan. And Joshua 7, 1 says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And so God told the children of Israel what to do. And they took them outside the camp and they stoned them and then they burned their bodies. And God, when they went against Ai again, gave them a great victory. These people had the courage. 
that even though there was doubt for a few moments, Joshua said, Lord, why, why did you do this to us? How did this happen? They overcame it quickly. And God told them what to do, and they searched it out. They did exactly what God said in order to repent and in order to get rid of the sin in the camp. You and I need to be serious about sin in our own lives individually. But we also need to be serious about sin within the body of Christ. And preachers need to preach against it. And we need to accept it. And we need to see what the Word of God says so that we can make corrections. And we can apply the discipline in our lives that we need to apply in order to overcome sin in our own lives. Sin in the camp of God. The third element of courage that the children of Israel found on this occasion is the courage to trust in the Lord. We talked about the sight of the Lord, and yes, we need to trust Him because He sees things that you and I cannot see. But we have got to develop that complete trust in our Lord. Did you ever play that trust game? We always had to do that at various youth rallies and things when I was growing up in Waco, Texas. And it was always so disconcerting. You know, they'd stand you up maybe on the side of a, a podium or something like that. And maybe you were up two or three feet. And, and here are some people behind you. And they say, okay, we want you to close your eyes and trust them to catch you. And then you close your eyes and you would fall backwards. Oh, it's such a disconcerting feeling. But uh, they always caught you, unless you were doing this with a non-Christian group. And then they'd, as a joke, they'd pull everybody out from behind you and all. But you, you learned how to trust in your teammates to help you to be able to accomplish the things that you need to be able to accomplish in this life. Deuteronomy 7 and 1 says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations who are more numerous and mightier than yourselves. What God was trying to get across to them is this. You're going to have success. You're going to beat these main seven nations. Now, there were all kinds of other nations as well, but these were the main Canaanite nations. And he's saying to them, you're going to be able to defeat every single one of these, but you need to understand something. Every single one by themselves are bigger and stronger and mightier than you are. What God is trying to get across to them is, this isn't about you. It's about what I can do through you. It's about trusting in me. That's what God is trying to get across to them. Look at the battles that God won for the Israelites. Jericho, in chapter 6, and verse 2, God says, I've given Jericho into your hand. And then in verses 4 and 5, And on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. The priests shall blow the trumpets, and then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. You know, I remember George Patton using that very same type of tactic in World War No, 
You, none of us remember anything like that. George Patton knew how to use what are called pincer movements and knew how to close up the, uh, the flanks and how to surround an enemy and cut off their fuel supply and their, and their uh, food supply and everything else. And you use those types of tactics in just a human battle, but this is not just a human battle. These are God's people doing God's things God's way. And the first thing God wanted to do was to build trust. And so he says, okay, we're going to do something totally senseless. We're going to march around that city for six days one time. And then on the sixth day, or seventh day rather, we're going to march around it seven times, and then we're going to build a siege works. Nope, nope, none of that kind of stuff. In fact, nothing tactical at all. Then we're going to blow trumpets and we're going to shout. And the walls are going to fall down. And they did. Exactly as God said. You know, there are some interesting things in archaeology. I love archaeology. And nowadays on, uh, on the Internet, you can do all kinds of research. It's just at your fingertips and a heartbeat. And uh, there have been several interesting things discovered over, over the last about, well, really, about 70 years. You remember back in the 40s, that little boy decided to, just like you and I would have done, Marty, when we were little boys, uh, wanted chunk rocks. They were down in, a, in an area called Qumran, and so they were picking up rocks, and they were chunking rocks, and they chunked them into these caves, and all of a sudden they heard something break. And so they ran in there, and they saw these great big old jars. And you know what? There isn't anything more fun than breaking stuff. And so, boy, they started breaking stuff, and then they decided, you know what? Maybe we ought to go get Daddy, the shepherd that was nearby, and see what he thinks. And Daddy recognized this is something very ancient, and maybe we shouldn't be messing with this. And they finally found somebody up in Jerusalem, and they came down, and they contacted some archaeologists, and they finally got down there and began to dig up the Dead Sea Scrolls. And one of the interesting things about the Dead Sea Scrolls is that the complete scroll they found, nowadays they're claiming that there are others that are complete, but the first complete scroll they found was Isaiah. And when they rolled it out, all the critics of the Bible said, oh, when they translate this, it's going to be radically different from your modern Bibles. They translated it, and it was virtually identical to what you and I have in our Bibles today. God knows how to reveal himself. When they began to really research Mount Sinai, which you can't get there very easily, but an oilman who was a Christian decided he was going to sneak onto the mountain that he had decided was probably Mount Sinai, and he had to do it at night, and he had to do it under wraps, and because the the Saudi Arabians don't really want people digging around and finding quote-unquote Christian stuff and, uh, and all. So uh, he started digging, and he took some soil samples. That was really his job anyway. He was a geologist. And when he came back and tested them, he found that that soil had been burned down to a great depth. What does the Bible tell us that the, that the mountain of Sinai was doing when Moses went up there to receive the word of God from God? 
and they've found what they think are Sodom and Gomorrah and so many other things like that. God is telling us, trust me. I'm going to show you things that only I can do, and you need to trust me. Against the five kings of Gibeon, In Joshua 10 and verse 11, And as they fled before Israel while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. And later on in that same battle, God made the earth stand still. And then if you will, turn with me to Joshua chapter 10. And this is kind of the summary statement of the, of the conquering of the land of Canaan. And we're going to begin in verse 40 of chapter 10. So Joshua struck the whole land, the hill country and the Negev and the lowland and the slopes, And all their kings he left none remaining, but devoted to destruction all that breathed, just as the Lord God of Israel commanded. And Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza, and all the country of Goshen as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all these kings and their land at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. God said, if you'll trust me, look at what we're going to be able to do. And they did. And they conquered all of these kings just as God told them that they should. We have the same promise, really, to us. Oh, not about the conquering of land, but the conquering of souls and helping men come to their Savior. Philippians 4.13, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Romans 8 and verse 28 says, All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, does it work together exactly as we think it ought to? No, that's not what that passage is saying. But it works for good. Everything that we do comes together for good in God's eyes. And so we need to trust in Him. The final thing tonight is that we need to have the courage, and so did they, to leave behind a heritage for the next generation. And God helped them to be able to do that. Ten of twelve men Israel selected to originally spy out the land had caused a faithless 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And they died by a plague, according to Numbers 14 and verse 37. That is not a good legacy. But when they crossed the Jordan, you remember what God did. He caused the Jordan when when the priests stepped into the edge of the Jordan and they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant on the poles like it was supposed to be carried. As soon as their feet touched the water, the water backed up on the one side. And by the way, it was during the spring. And the Jordan can flow out of its banks in certain areas up to a mile wide. That's the width of the Mississippi almost. Unbelievable, but it does. And it floods that valley, and that's how it's basically enriched. And so this was that time of year. And it 
heaped up basically, and then the rest of it just ran downstream and they crossed over on dry ground, just like they did when they came in to that area and God destroyed the Egyptians. God wants us to leave behind a great heritage. When those men got across, God told them, now you go and you get 12 big stones. And they went and got 12 stones. And he said, you stack these up. And when they stacked those up, what God told them they were doing is that when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Basically what God is saying is, that's going to open the door for you to explain who I am. And who you are. You're my children. You obeyed me. You conquered this land that I brought you into because you trusted in me and you walked with me. Now, what that's a great heritage. That's a great legacy to leave behind. I believe there are so many critical voices today that many of us are afraid because of what they are saying to leave a great heritage behind for our children. You know, everybody's second-guessing everything that was ever done, you know. Change the name of our auditorium out at Oklahoma Christian because they claim that the brother that it was named after was a racist. That's applying some history that really there aren't anybody, there isn't anybody around today to say that that was the way it was. There were mistakes made indeed. My parents struggled to a great degree with racism. But you know what? It was so interesting. We became members of a different congregation. We, I was raised in one congregation and then uh, finished growing up in another congregation. And we started a, a bus ministry. And my parents volunteered. And so Jim Hall, who was the preacher there in Valley Mills, Texas at that time, assigned my parents a particular quadrant of Valley Mills, Texas, and said, here's what I want you to do. We've got these flyers, and, and it's, got, it's got phone numbers on there. We want you to put your phone number down, and, uh, and you go and hand these flyers out and knock these doors, and, uh, and then they'll call you, and you'll build your list, and then you'll go and pick those kids up for church on Sunday morning. My parents did it. It was a heavily black area of that town. My parents knocked those doors, got those phone calls, picked all of those kids up. Some of the ladies in that congregation wouldn't let the little black kids sit with them. My mom and dad went and put those little kids all around them and held them in their laps. You know, children can change your heart. And it really happened, and I saw that evolution taking place in the hearts of my parents. I think we need to be very careful about blaming past generations for certain things. Maybe they just had not grown enough to overcome certain things. I'm not trying to make excuses, but here's what we need to do. We need to start from here and leave behind a great heritage of truth, of love, of teaching, of mission work for our children to see and to follow. And the way we do that is to start out in your own family. Study the Bible with them every night. Even if you don't feel good. Even if your favorite television show is coming on. You know, God keeps taking away all the excuses. He invented a thing called a DVR. 
Now you don't have any excuse at all. Even during a Dallas Cowboys game, you can teach the Bible to your kids. It's really not when you want to do it, but, you know, you got the DVR, so you can take care of it. I remember when they came out with uh, Lagarde Smith did the, the, uh, the Daily Bible. Now, I am not a big fan of the New International Version, but you know what? It was easy for my kids to read when they were little. And so that was one of the ways we taught our kids to read. And it took a long time, especially for the youngest one in the family, to read those passages. But we read our daily Bible reading every day. If we got behind and we were on a trip going down to my parents' house or her mom's house, or if we were going on vacation, we would get out that daily Bible and read in the van while we were traveling catch up. And read through the Bible every year with your family. Do you think that's going to leave a great legacy behind for your kids? Indeed, it's going to. Take your kids with you to the hospital whenever you go to make a hospital visit. Take your kids to a house that's bereaved and just teach them how to be very quiet and very, very respectful. And maybe you're taking food in for that family. Just give them a hug. Let them cry. Enjoy being with them for a while. Encourage them and then leave. But teach your children how to take care of people during the various stages of life and of death. And do all of those things to share, to leave behind a great legacy. Also, get involved in not only the church with your family, but with the community as well. And get out there like y'all are doing with those shirts and, and going out there working. When we had all of our tornadoes that, uh, that we've had and more, and y'all had some up here as well. And uh, all of those folks came into our community to work and to help. And they were wearing their shirts that said, maybe so-and-so Church of Christ on it, or maybe they were our shirts, uh, Central Church of Christ, or whatever the case might be. And like y'all say, Choctaw. I'm going to tell you right now, that goes a long way in helping people to remember. You know what? Those are the people that helped us. Maybe we ought to go over there some Sunday or some Wednesday night. And, uh, and you can touch lives and reach souls that way. Help your children to learn how to win souls. If ever there was anybody who's courageous about soul winning, it's your kids. Uh, they, they're just not ashamed. My mom used to tell us, okay, kids, the limit that will fit in our Chevrolet, we had a 60 Chevy. It was the size of a boat, but, you know, you didn't have seatbelt laws or anything. And so Mama said, okay, y'all can invite six friends. And uh, so we would go out and invite. We would fill that car completely full because there were four of us. Plus mama, daddy had to work, and uh, so the five of us and six, we had 11 kids in that old Chevrolet going over into Waco to go to church and uh, go to VBS and all. But you know, we were so unashamed, and where do we lose that? I don't know where we lose it, but we shouldn't. We need to keep pushing it. Proverbs 11 and 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. And let's leave behind also a great heritage of prayer finally tonight. It should become second nature to us. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17, the Bible says, pray without ceasing. Now, I've traveled around with some friends of mine that I think pray while they're driving. And I tell them, you don't have to pray with your eyes closed while you're driving because they, they scare me to death when they do. 
God knows that you don't have to have your head bowed and your, your hands folded to pray. And that we can be in a prayerful state 24-7. We can always be thinking about our Father and thinking about what he has done for us. Don't you know that Joshua got up every morning thinking, you know, I have been so blessed. I got to see God send those ten plagues upon the Egyptians. I got to see God split the Red Sea. I got to see us cross on dry ground. I got to see the smoke billowing up on Sinai. I got to see Moses come down with those tablets of stone. But unfortunately, I also saw our people faithless and not doing what they ought to do. God let me live these 40 years and plus however many years older that he was than that. And now I'm seeing us cross into the promised land. Now I've seen us defeat every major kingdom that is here. I saw what God told us he would do. Conquer this entire land. Folks, we serve that same God. He hadn't died. He hadn't gone anywhere. We're the ones who moved. And we need to make sure that we come right back to dead center and stay with the truth and stay with the word of God and follow God wherever he leads us. God bless you and thank you.